Welcome back to season two of Soundlore, the official podcast of Indiana University's Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology Spring Semester Edition. This is where we sound off about recent scholarship, ideas, and current happenings from the fine folks who have crossed paths with our department. I'm Jeremy Reed, and this week we're kicking off the semester with a replay from the fall, Gloria M. Colombrania's colloquium talk, a retrospective on Batata Batata. Gloria is completing her doctorate in folklore here at Indiana University. She received her bachelor's in science and environmental design at the University of Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras, a master's in science in historic preservation at Columbia University, and a master's in architecture at the University of Illinois at Urbana-Champaign. Gloria's dissertation centers on the contemporary vernacular architecture practices in Puerto Rico. The talk you will hear in this replay episode draws on her chapter, Batata Batata, examining Puerto Rican visual folk expression in times of adversity from the recent edited volume, theorizing folklore from the margins, critical and ethical approaches. Gloria explores how Puerto Ricans have coped and are coping with the brutal effects of American imperialism, Hurricane Maria, and recently the COVID-19 pandemic. Gloria's talk uses a combination of visual and written media, her own brilliant illustrations to convey the import of her analysis and experience. Of course, this component is flattened by representing only the audio from her talk. I encourage you to find a copy of Theorizing Folklore from the Margins and behold her illustrations for yourself. We've got an exciting lineup of episodes coming up for you all, so stay tuned. And don't forget to reach out if you have ideas for future episodes or want to get involved in our production. And now, Gloria M. Colombrania. Thank you so much for being here, for being here this afternoon. I'm really excited to talk about this um, topic. This is, this is a topic that has been weaving in and out of my mind over the last five or six years. And it's something that's very, very close to me. So I might get a little emotional, so I'm sorry. Um, about that beforehand. I know this is also being recorded. Um, it, this is also a very visual presentation. So my apologies to those who will be listening and might not be able to see all of the images later on. But that said, um, this is a retrospective on a chapter I wrote that's called Batata Batata. <laughs> and um, this is about space, about physical space, about digital space, and about communities that are on multi multi-sided locations so this is about breaching different levels of spaces within the puerto rican community both in puerto rico and in the diaspora it, i first of all i'm not going to be able to touch on every single topic that happened during these this time i'm touching upon quite a few topics so if it feels overwhelming it only is because this is overwhelming these are all the things that you're going to be seeing today in this quick rep retrospective, which I'm not going to be able to do justice to, are the things that could not fit in my dissertation. So this is everything but the carport, everything but the architecture. Um, all of these things were things that were happening in 2015 and 16, 17 before Hurricane Maria hit. I will talk a little bit about Hurricane Maria, but really, what I want, the, the tale, the story, the snippet in time, because this is really just a snippet, is the moments before Hurricane Maria. What was happening? What was laying the groundwork for the things that are still going on today? So um, 
This is actually the final image from the chapter and something that I want to say first of all is you're going to get to see the images in color. They're currently published in black and white, so there's that. Um, and I want to start at the end mainly because I want to show you the layers. I ended up this, this chapter based on images, based on colors, based on um, sort of a collage of different elements all sort of crowding together in a single page. And then the text is simply the footnotes and, or endnotes, maybe footnotes, to support these images that I'm showing. And I wanted to start with this one, with the very end, just to show you the layering of things that are happening to the individual simultaneously and how all of these things interact and how I try to interpret that with pencil, pen, and watercolor, maybe effectively, maybe not so effectively, we'll see. Uh, art is very interpretive, uh, personally, to each person. So before we start going back in time to 2015 and 2016, I did want to uh, begin with, you know, it's not even an elephant in the room anymore. I already mentioned it, Hurricane Maria. It's something that put Puerto Rico in the global map for the first time in many uh, decades, centuries. I don't know if Puerto Rico had ever been quite as seen by a global audience, by its own quote unquote national audience, by the United States. It almost felt like being rediscovered. Um, and Puerto Rico was being seen by a very particular lens uh, through whatever media was being digested here in the United States. So it was a very filtered sort of sort of story that was being told, sort of narrative. Um, the image here on the, is this the right for everybody? <laughs> so the image on the right is one of the first illustrations. Um, and here I'm showing a combination of imagery, people in line for the ga gas station, a building that's destroyed, that same line moving towards Florida, a series of shoes, a meme with a gargoyle carrying off of FEMA, uh, FEMA provisions and more provisions just lying there. You'll also see numbers on the spread, which are the numbers to the footnotes, which I can maybe quote if you want to, but I'll leave that later for the Q&A. Um, and some blocks with, um, with uh, hashtags, and hashtags are a major part of the story because hashtags are a major part of how information moves so quickly and it's categorized, more important than that, it's categorized in social media. By social media, I'm mainly going to be talking about Facebook, which is the platform that I interacted with the most, but many of these same memes and stories and narratives were moving equally as quickly through Instagram and through Twitter, sort of the big three. There's other forms of social media, but those are kind of the ones I'll be referencing a bit more. So on the left, you can see the actual meme of the gargoyle carrying off the, the FEMA container. And on a more serious note, on the bottom, you can see the shoes that are being referenced. And, and here is the hashtag 4645. That's a reference to a number that was conjured by a university study that they did mathematics and estimates and came to that number of the amount of people they projected died after Hurricane Maria as direct and indirect consequences of the hurricane and of the operation rescue or lack of 
rescue operations after the storm. The shoes are a memorial that, that was created, memorial slash protest that was created right after that number came out when the Puerto Rican government was still insisting that the deaths from the hurricane were still under 100. And these are shoes that belong to specifically to people who died after the storm. As direct or indirect consequences, these shoes were brought in by family members, by friends. So um, there's always a bittersweetness with many of the things I will be presenting to you. A lot of the jokes that are being told is um, finding catharsis, finding uh, mental health through humor. So I was going to just highlight, if you want to during the Q&A, definitely ask about the gargoyle. We can talk about that later on. Um, but for now, I have to keep moving on. Another example that I wanted to bring up um, in the chapter, I wanted to sort of preface and, and sort of lay the groundwork of what I was trying to do, because I was trying to do a lot, just with imagery and footnotes, which is the text, the text, but um, the supporting text, but basically bring about stories and bring about multiple stories that were all happening at the same time that had everybody feeling super overwhelmed and how these different things were interacting with each other. And this particular case is the case of a mural Paz para la Mujer, Peace for the Woman, that was created by the collective Moribibi, which is a female art, collect art collective in the metropolitan area of Puerto Rico. They painted this mural, I believe in 2015, I might be wrong, 2014, 2015, and it showed Afro-Boricua women, Black Puerto Rican women, um, completely naked but covering their faces, and their bodies covered in butterflies in remembrance of the Mirabal sisters from the Dominican Republic who were killed by President Trujillo in the 1960s and who represent um, and they are, they have become a figure of representing violence against women and the actions against, and to stop that, um, to go above and to change that course of action. So particularly femicides, but other, other types of abuse and violence as well. Quickly after this paint mural was put up, someone went and defaced it by painting bras and panties on roughly very crude bras and panties on this, these women that quickly became known online. And a group, another collective of women formed online in San Juan. Uh, they found each other through Facebook, many knew each other, and they went ahead and did a protest uh, piece in front of the mural and they were all bare chested and they shared it online that became viral and quickly that was censored as well. Um, so this is a story of censoring and recensoring and recodifying this information both on the physical and the digital world. So they were doing this uh, performance piece in front of the mural but they were doing it making sure that it would be presented online for online consumption. Eventually, the collective went back. So I wanted to show you just how the sketching and conceptualization of the project worked out here on the bottom. An image from Google um, Maps that I used, a street view that I used for reference because I, I physically couldn't go to that place at the moment to document it. And then a post, an uh, online post from the Moribibi Collective about actually going and 
pixelating and censoring the images themselves, but in a way that provided them a little bit more agency and didn't detract from the message that they were trying to say. So the message about violence against women was obscured by an act of violence against a painting of a woman. So, and today I'm not gonna be able to talk more about this, so this is the main opportunity, but this is just one example, one little snippet of representing how the dialogue about women, cis women, trans women, the extreme violence and femicide that many cis and trans women are facing in Puerto Rico, topics about racism that are only now starting to be confronted even within families in Puerto Rico. There's a lot of resistance to these topics. Um, and uh, violence against LGBTQI presence in Puerto Rico as well in general. So these are topics that are now starting to move along and there's a lot of resistance, there's a lot of political action from ultra-conservative groups against. So there's a push and pull that's happening right now. And this is just a small viral example of how this sort of played out with a mural on a physical space on the island. And uh, <laughs> I, this is, really interesting. I just wanted to share this because this was happening at the same time and you will see why in a second. Actually, I should have posted this afterwards, but whatever. I'm going to talk about it before. Hashtag uh, no te quites. Hashtag don't quit. Hashtag this was a huge hashtag that was posted all over the streets. It was posted on banners, on billboards, on Coca-Cola cans, on other types of soda cans. So um, hashtag don't quit, hashtag no te quites, hashtag don't give up is the message. This, um, I like to use the term astrosurf, astroturf for this, as in it looks like it was a grassroots movement, but this was actually brought by business owners who were concerned that a huge exodus of Puerto Ricans were leaving in 2016. Almost 100,000 people left the island in 2016 um, to the United States mainland because the economy had been faltering, and I'm going to go into detail about that very soon. However, this hashtag was considered very hurtful by many of the people who were either in the diaspora or had to start leaving or had to start preparing because they could not they were not earning living wages. They were um, to the point of extreme food insecurity. Um, so hashtag don't quit was sort of synonymous as hashtag don't leave. But if you had to leave, this felt very much like gaslighting. And oh, there was a big pushback against this. Ya me quite, oh, I already quit, was another hashtag that came up. And I really love this image of this older man who went viral that says, hashtag yo me quito. He simply erased the no, which no in Spanish is no in English. It's the same word. So hashtag yo me quito. He's in the airport with his luggage in front of American Airlines. He's about to leave. And he has a face of, I don't care. Um, so in this image, I just wanted to showcase how, how these competing dialogues were happening. And something that I want to make very clear, everything that I'm talking about today was happening at exactly the same time. And here's more context as to why people were leaving, as to why all of this was happening. And yes, Lee manuel Miranda is highly featured here. Um, 
because I'm not going to say he was the main reason for many of the things that were to happen, but he did avidly and vocally play a role in what would happen. Um, and here is where it gets a little convoluted. I don't know how many people here know. Let me just get a raise of hand. How many people here know about the PROMESA bill? Okay, a quarter, a fifth of you know a little bit about it. How many of you know about Puerto Rico's $100 billion debt? Okay, a couple of you know about it too. The Puerto Rico, and this is very long. This is something that I would teach in Latino history or in Puerto Rican history if I had more time. There is no time for it. Long story short, the 90s happened, NAFTA happened, the elimination of Section 936 happened, all the factories, the high-end pharmaceutical factories that provided middle and upper, upper middle class work and sort of held uh, the illusion of progress and Puerto Rico feeling just like being on the mainland for a hot minute there. All of that was pulled under Puerto Ricans' feet. 10 years later, 2007, people wake up to a $4 billion debt. The government does some stuff. It gets really complicated, and it's so complicated that not even they understand what happened. 2013, everybody wakes up. That debt is up to $65 billion, and it's currently around $100 billion or more, and it just keeps on sponging. And instead of auditing the debt and figuring out what the bleep is happening and how the such a small place is accruing so much debt and what can be usefully done about it. Um, the PROMESA bill was enacted by Congress in the United States and it was almost unanimously passed. Well, as my dear husband last night um, looked up for me and reminded me, Miguel, um, only 14 Democrats voted against it. Every other Democrat and Republican voted for it. It was one of the last times that we had almost full consensus in Congress about anything. So what is PROMESA? Let me actually look that up in the book because it's a long acronym. It starts with Puerto Rico Oversight. Yes, the Puerto Rico Oversight Management and Economic Stability Act. And so what did this mean? This means that the La Junta, that a system, a board, a panel of X amount of people, I can't recall how many, eight or nine people, would be in charge of the whole island's budget. And okay, so this, it gets a little lengthy, but I really need everybody to understand a bit because everything else that happens afterwards is kind of because of this. Thanks to a little quirk in the Puerto Rican constitution um, that was kind of shoehorned in by the US government in the 1950s, states that Puerto Rico has to pay its debts before it pays any other bill. So the island has to pay any debt it has, prioritize it over pensions, over budget, any other piece of the government budget, over firefighters, over anything, anything, roads, anything. So you have that. And then in the 1980s, another bill was passed to say that, oh, Puerto Rico cannot um, get bankruptcy. Why? Because. This is all in the U.S. government. No explanation. Just it just can't. So um, this shoehorned a situation, a scenario that created the this oversight board um, with 
sort of equal representation between Democrats and Republicans. Some Puerto Ricans could be involved, the island's governor being a non-voting member. If you read, and I really encourage people to look up the PROMESA bill um, synopsis, it's online. I really urge you to look at it because the day I read that thing, I cried. It said, stated that the oversight board could urge the governor to lower this, the minimum wage to $2 for people 25 years old and younger. It, it said that they could receive pretty substantial gifts, that the Puerto Rican government has to pay for the room and board, which is around $25 million to $50 million a year in the best hotels with caviar and wines. We've already been living this for five years now. So, but we saw this coming in 2016. Guess who didn't read that synopsis? Lee Manuel Miranda. He went to the White House, to President Obama, sang Hamilton songs so that the PROMESA bill could be signed into and enacted into law. In the meantime, and this is already starting to trend too closely to the dissertation, but way too many buildings are on were on sale at the time. Things are moving really rapidly. 2021 is a different landscape from 2016, but people, 89,000 people leave the island. That's going to mean that a lot of houses are closed, are for sale, are starting to fall into disrepair. It's starting to have a visual change in the landscape. And let's not forget it's 2016. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of stuff was happening in 2016. For those of us hearing us, it was the primaries. Puerto Ricans can vote in the U.S. primaries if they are registered as Democrats or Republicans. So just a little factoid there. They cannot vote for the presidential election, just like any other U.S. territory. But very quickly, as uh, summer of 2016 was rolling in and the PROMESA bill was enacted, suddenly PROMESA is pobreza started appearing ever everywhere. This promise is poverty. This promise is poverty. This promise is poverty is seen everywhere. No to the colonial junta. No to the colonial junta. So this message is repeated in graffitis and banners, but these are more homemade. And these are oftentimes young people with a can of spray paint, maybe not doing it as elegantly or eloquently as no te quites. And on July 5th, 2016, People woke up to one of the historic doorways in Old San Juan um, that used to have the Puerto Rican flag painted on it in its bright red and blue colors, suddenly painted in black. So that was a very historic day. Another art collective uh, spoke to the owner of the building, got permission, went at night and repainted it in black and white. And so that was pretty scandalous. That was pretty salacious. And it has become an enduring icon of Puerto Rico's situation and scenario to this day. Um, you're going to see that flag, that version of the flag popping up over and over again. And speaking of flags, the Puerto Rican flag is highly, highly contested and symbolic um, symbol for Puerto Ricans. Many people associated with Puerto Rican Day parades, with having it all over the place, with bling, with car decals in the United States as sort of this big symbol of, of who we are. But it really is much more complicated and nuanced. Um, the flag came about in the late 19th century with Puerto Rican revolutionaries who had been working very closely with Cuban revolutionaries and took the Cuban flag and inverted it as a symbol of independence and protest. This flag was 
After the United States took over Puerto Rico in 1898, this flag was illegal into the 1950s. I believe it's 1952, but don't quote me on that. Um, and so it sort of became the state flag after that and was sort of uh, quote unquote tamed a little bit. The Even the blue, the color blue used on the on the star's background is highly contested. Dark blue, rich dark blue is preferred by pro-state hooders so that the flag can match the, the US flag. Um, like bright medium blue uh, is preferred by the pro-status quo, pro-commonwealth group. And the baby light blue was the original color of the flag and it's considered the most revolutionary and preferred by pro-independence people. So even the color blue in the flag will tell you sort of what your political alliances are. 2016, other things happened. It wasn't all a terrible year. Puerto Rico won its first gold medal ever in the, US, in the Olympics, ever. Um, I still remember, was it NBC? I don't even want to say what. One big US uh, news um, outlet actually went ahead and made a chart of all the gold medals the US had ever won. And then the one gold medal Puerto Rican won. And I'm like, why? why? I do remember seeing that. I'm not going to quote which one it was. I don't want to get in trouble. But yes, so that also meant the Olympics were, I believe, in August or late July. They're a little later in summer. People went ahead and made a gold version of the flag for victory. And that gold version is much rarer. But people really did rejoice one small win in a year where there were no wins, where there seemed to be no light at the end of the tunnel. And the other thing is because I'm talking about what happens digitally, what happens physically, there was a project, 78 Towns and One Flag by another artist, and he made sure to sign all the buildings with his Instagram handle so that he could be easily found online. So buildings were being painted all over Puerto Rico, and I'm going to show you right now. To the great consternation of fellow preservationists on the island, <laughs> might I add, preservationists were not winning this one, trust me. But um, paint, um, not every single town had a major building painted, but most did. And people loved this. And it was a physical marker in a physical space, but was also made for digital consumption. And so people would go to these places to take pictures of themselves, to say, hey, we made it. Oh, we're trying to go to all 78 towns and try to get them all. The middle image has the painted door as I saw it in 2016. And the far right image um, is from the University of Puerto Rico, Rio Piedras. And you can see all of the versions here, uh, including the pride flag. And something that I did want to mention very quickly, 2016, June, was the Pulse Massacre, where a lot of um, LGBTQ Puerto Ricans, specifically from this recent diaspora, many who had just left the island a month or two before um, um, perished. And so a lot of people were still carrying that as well with them. This is 2016, a lot happened. We forget about this. This is recent history, but there was so much going on. And because, you know, we don't want to pile on more and more stuff, there were also two, at least two. I know there was one in Vieques as well, but um, I concentrated on two major ecological protests that were ongoing in Puerto Rico at the time in the town of Peñuelas against uh, the dumping of ash. Puerto Rico currently um, uses mainly 
um, non-renewable energy. That's changing for many reasons. It has to change. But when you use non-renewable energy, you have non-renewable toxic waste to dispose of. And so it was being disposed of in one of the more poor remote towns and people were not having it. In my own hometown of Aguadilla, um, there was a huge hotel project that is still, they're still trying to get it to happen, but it may not happen. I don't know what's going on with it right now, but there were huge protests against the, oh, you'll love this name, the Columbus Landing Mega Hotel <laughs> on one of the last green spots in Aguadilla. And the protesters for both these protests were using a combination of hashtags, of memes, and social media to try to get the message across. They were often trying to reach out to uh, the protesters at Standing Rock, which was happening at this simultaneously in North Dakota. Th these things um, were not related, but were also related, and social media really brought communities uh, much closer together um, especially when you already have a diaspora that, that is all over the place. And because all of this wasn't enough, um, I arrived in Puerto Rico in early July to do research and that very same day got stung by about 10 mosquitoes and I believe one of them gave me Zika that day. Um, yes, and people were saying, I almost brought a YouTube video today about a kid who was saying, no, Zika's not real. That thing isn't here. That's just a lie. They're overblowing it. Nobody, I don't know anybody with Zika. I haven't seen anybody with Zika. Three weeks later, the whole island has Zika. Not the whole island, you know, like, but quite a few people had Zika. I, I got Zika. Um, but my first day in Puerto Rico during that research trip, there were already protests on the street. And as you can see, no a la fumigación, no to the fumigation. People were very concerned that the federal government was proposing to use NALED insecticide and spray it all over the island to kill mosquitoes. People were very, very concerned about um, bodily autonomy, but on a macro scale, um, Puerto Rico has a long history of being used as a guinea pig for experiments by both the US government and many institutions, and people are very shy of um, when things that are a little experimental, they're a little poisonous, um, that are, uh, that might have consequences beyond their intended use. And so a lot of conspiracy theories started cropping up out of this. A lot of concerns started cropping out of about this. You can see there's bees being used. There was a big concern that uh, bees are already, you know, an animal that's, uh, that, that's right now in a very frail state throughout the planet. And there was concern that more insecticide would definitely just hurt the whole environment a lot more. Um, and you can barely see it, but there's some promesa signs as well. So these things are already starting to intersect and interact on the ground. People are feeling the hurt of Promesa. People are feeling the economic hurt already. They were feeling the economic hurt already for a long time. Um, and now they're just feeling it more and more. And it just feels like, well, you know, when it rains, it pours, and then it pours more. And so, yeah, we come back to batata, batata, batata. <laughs> so like any other meme, if you know the meme, if you're in the joke, you're just going to snort a little 
giggle and move on. And if you don't know, it's like, so I'm going to do that lame thing and I'm going to explain the joke. What is a batata? A batata is simply a sweet potato. That's all it is. It's also jargon, or not jargon, it's slang. It's slang for a useless bureaucrat or government um, politician. It's slang for every bad thing you can imagine uh, with a politician. And the reason, and I'm actually going to see if this works, I'm going to show you where this came from, this meme. Yeah. That's literally it. It's a young man just holding a sweet potato and for 0.01 seconds saying batata and moving on. That's it. There's no more. There's no less to it. But it struck out to so many people. This um, and for now I have to go like, okay, so why does this joke matter or count? Or why has it ingrained to such a point that when I even shared that I was doing this, people were like, batata? <laughs> people who knew the joke were reacting to it just from the title of this presentation. Um, this was, we're already in 2017 at this point when you're seeing this image. This is the May 1st pro uh, protests in Puerto Rico. May 1st is associated with workers' protests throughout the world you know, for a very long time. Um, people had a lot to protest about. <laughs> Every single thing that I mentioned earlier <laughs> was on their minds. Uh, lack of work, lack of opportunity, um, raising costs, um, preference for the banks, the fact that one of the bankers who, who was the, one of the architects or engineers, I don't know, I'll just say engineers, <laughs> I'm an architect, um, one of the engineers of the ever-growing debt, this debt that just continued to mushroom up and up, was also on the junta for the first round. And so, you know, people were kind of fed up. So uh, that day was a day, and as you can tell, like the language was already established in 2016. The symbols are already being seen on the streets. The flag, the, vers the black and white flag was already being seen on the streets. And that day, Many protesters launched their violence against banks, or the buildings, not the people, because they were empty. And many police then launched their violence against the protesters. And people were arrest arrested, such as Nina Dros, and made, uh, she was she's like um, a local celebrity model um, and activist. And she was kind of used as a symbol of what you can't do and what will get you in trouble. And it's still contested, like how much she actually did or not. Um, but I kind of wanted to highlight, see that the sweet potatoes with their little boat, their ties on the bottom. So th these are the things that I layered up and stacked. And the reason I wanted to mention this is this Hurricane Maria hadn't arrived yet. People were still, were already dealing with all this stuff. Um, but since then I did want to like, give kind of an update very quickly before we moved on very quickly protest 2019 a third of the whole population showed up to remove the governor on the biggest day of protest even bad bunny was there <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't the for like front man but he was there um the governor was removed I'm not going to go into too much detail you can ask me about that later 
but nobody was brought to justice. Nobody was brought to the courts. His own party and the people who were around him are in government now. But life went on. Um, took silly pics, saw family, saw friends, had a wonderful Christmas 2019, saw two sibling weddings, uh, two siblings who got had weddings that year. I don't know, that sounds weird, but yeah. So I went to Puerto Rico for two weddings, missed my grandfather's funeral, life and death go on. So many things were still happening, but life kept on happening. Wait, no, that was 2000, yeah, 2019. And then 2020 hit, <laughs> 2020 hit us with a punch in the face. Um, we went to our epiphany party, the 6th of January, biggest uh, Christmas holiday in Puerto Rico after Holy Night, culturally and otherwise. Um, we went to bed, it's, it was technically the 7th already, maybe 3, 3 a.m., 6.4 earthquake hit, and we lost our, lost our trust in gravity and in the ground that night. I was set to fly two days later, and the earth kept on shaking for me for months after that. It kept on shaking physically for friends and family members uh, for quite a bit longer. Um, I love this meme. I didn't like the seven-day free trial for 2020. Where can I cancel it? Terrible service. Only one star. Oh boy, if they only knew if there was one way to give negative stars because, you know, like, then other things happen. And we're not there yet. We're not even at the present yet. Um, Act 22 of 2012 meant that a bunch of rich people from the U.S. started going, moving to Puerto Rico and buying up lands and buying up... Uh, multi-million dollar houses and taking courses of how to speak Spanish for the staff so that they can avoid paying federal taxes. And so I just love these two memes that were came out when Logan Jake Paul moved to the island. And if any of you know who they are, I'm so sorry. Um, it's two famous YouTubers known for being no, just for their not, notoriety and lack of respect for a lot of people. Um, so many people are not happy with them there. Um, so the badly drawn island is what, how Puerto Ricans think that these um, people who are moving, tax evaders who are moving in, um, how they see the island. And then the other one, pal carajo, <laughs> like, fuck it. Um, I'm so sorry, there's children. Um, that's how people reacted to like, well, you know, like this is how we're, we have to react. So these were two memes that I thought were proper. And now we're finally here. We're here. And it's not all bad. Puerto Rico has like, okay, I'm going to like get on, has the lowest COVID rates in the U.S. Um, hospitals, the infrastructure never recovered. Things are still dire. The things that happened before are still being drawn out. Um, and therefore, everybody took mask wearing seriously. Not everyone, but much higher than here, um, very seriously, took social distancing seriously and took vaccines seriously. So this is a story that is still ongoing. This is just a snapshot in time. And the reason that I wanted to prepare this weird little chapter was sort of to capture a moment in history before Puerto Rico became famous for Maria. So thank you very much. Soundlore is an official production of the Department of Folklore and Ethnomusicology at Indiana University, produced by David McDonald and Jeremy Reed. 
Music provided by Pagliacci and some other clowns. Engineered by Amanda Luke. Questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes? Leave us a message at 812-855-0396. If you haven't already, please subscribe to Soundlore on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever fine podcasts are downloaded. Thank you for listening.